actually giving a shit. Um, and that applies to my prospects and my clients when I was selling. And that applies to the people on my team as well. This goes back to what we were talking about before. SaaS sales, all the money, all the dollars. This is why you want to be in SaaS. That's cool and all. But for the most part, it's not about the money. It's what the money allows them to do in the way of lifestyle or owning a home or buying a car or whatever. For me, it was just always really important to peel the onion back and better understand why do you get up in the morning and get shut down on cold call after cold call? That's not normal. Like, why do you do it, right? Um, so I, I think that allows you to, to just build a better relationship with your people and help them achieve whatever it is they want. Landing a great job opportunity is sometimes very challenging. Breaking into tech and getting hired as a sales rep can be even harder. When I was applying to my first sales jobs, I also struggled with the unknown. What to expect, what the tech industry was like, and how do I break in? After years of being an SDR myself, I've decided to build something I wish I had in the beginning. My name is Stefan, and in the SDR Hire podcast, I interview successful SDRs and salespeople who share their stories straight from the trenches. Learn how they got their first job offers, how they succeed every day in their roles, and what makes them stand out in their organizations. We all have what it takes. We just need someone to remind us of the opportunity and give us a better chance for success. Let's get your next STR gig. Hey, hey, welcome back to the STR Hire podcast. I'm your host, Stefan, and this is a place where you can learn from top producing salespeople what it's like working in tech sales, how do you break in, what do companies look for, and how to succeed as an SDR all for free. And today's episode is a bit different from the usual spiel because today I'm talking to Chris Ciccone. Chris is a senior manager of business development at a company called Vizier. I wanted to have Chris on to talk about things from another perspective, which is how do you build a great sales team? How do you make it work? What does a manager have to do to have everybody aligned? So quotas, expectations, mental health, performance, growth, pressure, you name it. Uh, and I've been following Chris's teachings on LinkedIn for a while, and I love his perspective on managing sales teams. So let's just dive right in. Chris, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Stefan. I'm I'm super pumped to talk about stuff like this because, and I'm sure we'll get into it plenty, but uh, you know, developing and leading, especially junior sales folks, has become such a passion for me in my career that I'm I'm really pumped and I'm excited to be able to share anything I can that could help, you know, that that next generation of salespeople uh come up through the pipeline. I love it. I love it. I share the same passion. So I think we'll have a lot of great things to talk about. But let's just start from the beginning. So if I saw correctly, you used to be a technical recruiter. So that's kind of where you uh, started out. Was that the case? And like, how did you end up in tech sales? <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent question because it's a bit of a story. So I'll, I'll try and give you uh, the short form version of it. But basically, I studied kinesiology and uh, I always had this mix of I love sports. I love sciences. Let me mix them together. And I did a specialization in athletic therapy. You know, the people who are running out onto the field, if somebody gets injured, uh, you know, taking care of them, bringing them back, doing rehab, all that great stuff. Uh, of course, the dream is to follow a professional sports team. Unfortunately, in Canada, we don't have that many of them. So uh, I, I just didn't quite see the career develop there. So um, what I did instead was start to think about what other career opportunities I could have, what skills did I have? And, um, you know, I had worked in retail throughout my um, throughout my schooling and all of that. So I figured, hey, I've got some retail sales experience. Why don't I try and turn that into a career in sales? 
I interviewed at all the really crummy sales jobs, you know, the no base salary, all commission or training is here's a phone book. Good luck. Start calling people. Um, and I decided that I had never really taken a business course in my life. So maybe approaching a company that would take a bit more time to train and develop me uh, would be uh, a better life choice for me. So I ended up getting referred into Aerotech. So they're a staffing company and um, their mentality is they hire folks. Doesn't matter about your background. Doesn't matter about where you come from. If you have the drive, the curiosity, the work ethic, then we'll hire you, we'll teach you and train you. And so that uh, meant a lot to me. I was a recruiter for a few months just to kind of understand what it is I was selling. And so I started there, started doing that. Um, as I was learning the recruiting job, they were also kind of teaching me the sales job. So I moved into a sales role pretty quickly there and about a year in. Uh, started a brand new division actually in Canada. So I got the opportunity to start building out my own team there and start to lead people, which is kind of where that passion came from. Uh, and I did that for about eight years at that point. Um, saw some success, built out a division, was leading the division in um, in Quebec. So I, uh, I saw some success and I was kind of looking at that point as to what was next for my career. Um, I, I The director role to run the office essentially would have been my next step. And at that point, the director had moved into his role maybe about six months before I jumped in. So it's like, you know what? There's probably not an immediate opportunity for me here. Let's see what else is out there. Yeah. And um I say one of my old clients reached out to me, but it's funny. I uh, I had kept in touch with her for years and had met with her multiple times. She had never bought anything from me, um, but uh, she was starting an HRIS company, an HR information system organization, and said, you know what? I need a salesperson to come on board, build out my team, sell as well, be a player coach. And that's always the role I've had. I've led folks as well as sold. So I said, you know what? I'm going to continue selling to HR, which is what I was doing in the staffing world going to move into the SaaS side of the business and, and do a lot of that. Um, and so I, I took that leap and spent, I guess, about two and a half years there. Pandemic kind of hit while I was there. So that was a bit of an adventure as well. Um, I, I think I learned pretty quickly that there is a huge difference between selling SaaS and selling staffing. Mm -hmm. um, so spent a couple of years there. Um, you know, was not seeing as much success as I probably would have liked because I, I might have been a little bit underprepared for that. Um, and so that's when Vizier came knocking, uh, one of the, um, recruiters there had reached out to me through LinkedIn and I was like, you know what, still in the HR space. So Vizier does people analytics. So same space again, I'm comfortable in that space. That's good. Um, they're a little bit of a bigger organization at HR wise. Mm -hmm. I think I was like the eighth employee hired or something like that. You know, Vizier valued at a billion dollars, 500 or so employees, a bit more stability structure, like it was an opportunity to lead uh, a group of SDRs or BDRs. And uh, I said, you know what? This might be right. Now I can kind of jump in, not a ton of structure, but a bit more. I can still have an impact on the business. I still feel good about it being kind of a scale up, if not a startup. So let me jump in here. And that's that's how I ended up leading a, a wonderful team of, uh, of BDRs. I love it. Amazing. Let me just uh, uh, kind of think through where I want to go, uh, take the conversation. So um, one thing that stood out from what you said is, uh, full cycle sales plus basically building out a team. That's a pretty big chunk of uh, responsibility. So what was that like? I'm assuming you had to kind of juggle because like usually in the in the SaaS world as we know it today, it's usually either or um, and you kind of had to do both things. So what was that like? Um, it, it was really rough. So the the 
the I would say the main challenge I had in in the role at HR Wise where I was doing both was that it was still a very young company. I think it had been around for about a little less than four years when I joined. So right. there was still a lot of opportunity to test different things, try different things. And having to juggle both just didn't give me the time necessary to be able to you know, go out there and test things out quickly with a good amount of volume, come back, readdress and retweak. So, um, you know, building out structure, building out process is great and all, but just not having the capacity to do it quickly enough, I think definitely slowed us down, especially with pandemic happening, a lot of change going on. We weren't able to react as quickly as I would have liked because we were always, I felt a little bit shorthanded on the sales side. You know, the first hire I made was let's bring a BDR in, let's try and get some volume going, add another strong account executive and try and get another BDR under them. So we were building out the team, but um, to your point, it's just, it's a lot to do and trying to compartmentalize and find time for all of that is a challenge. I realized that startups, you know, you do have limitations on funding and, and all that kind of stuff. So you want to get the most bang for your buck. But um, yeah, I would not recommend straight up player coach roles. Um, I, I It's just, it's such a challenge because you also run into issues where I'm getting pulled into meetings by another account executive. Well, he's getting paid commission on this. I guess my number is tied to it, but you're like, it's, it's a bit of a conflict of interest that happens as well that you have to be very mindful of in the way of how you're dividing territories and all that kind of stuff as well. So there's a lot to think about. Um, it's, it's definitely a challenge and, and maybe one I would not recommend if you don't have to go that route. Yeah, most definitely. I had a, a very shortly, I had a similar experience where I was uh, both leading a team as well as of, of kind of an STI, of SDRs and then also being an account executive that lasted for a short while, but it was very uh, overwhelming, even more than I was actually aware of. Um, and, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I wouldn't recommend it if you can avoid it. But um, one more thing that you said, which is the difference between staffing sales and SaaS sales. I mean, everybody speaks about SaaS as if it's something extremely different. I don't think so, but there are differences. Can you give us uh, your point of view in regards to staffing? Absolutely. So I'm glad you brought this up for two reasons. Because first of all, I do want to talk about the topic. Secondly, because I get a bit irritated when you go on LinkedIn or, you know, I've regularly been watching like TikTok sales gurus or whatever you want to call them. I realize it's a podcast and me doing air quotes probably doesn't come through, but I, that's what I was doing with the guru word. Um, you know, people talk about SaaS as if it's like, oh, this, this is the only sales option there is. It's the only thing you can do. You have to go into SaaS sales. The only way to make money. Like, no, no, that's, that's not the case. Sales in general is a very lucrative career. When I was in staffing sales, I saw people make probably not far from a million dollars a year. So it's possible in just about any sales field you want to go into, find something that interests you and do it. So SaaS is great. I'm just, I'm a bit of a tech nerd. So that's part of the reason why I enjoy SaaS, but like there's no, no sales is better than the other. Go do something you enjoy doing. Back to staffing versus SaaS, um, staffing has become a bit more commoditized and feels a bit more transactional, whereas SaaS is a bit of a, a longer, more relationship, not more relationship driven, that's not true. It's just a longer, more involved sales process. So staffing, I was able to build out my book of business with a mix of large enterprise size accounts where I was able to go. And yeah, it's a longer sales cycle, six months to a year. Um, you know, you're going and you're going through an RFP process, you're selling to multiple stakeholders, all that good stuff. 
But you also have folks who are hiring and want to hire like four people and you can call them, book a meeting and close a deal in the span of, you know, two weeks, get an agreement signed and start working on them. So that's a little bit of the difference is that when you sell from a staffing perspective, you're basically selling an opportunity to go fill roles for them. Whereas when you're selling SaaS, usually it's a question of I'm selling, we're implementing, we're using, you're using only us, that kind of stuff. There's a lot of the technical things and all of that. Base level, to your point, it's the same thing, right? You're calling, you're identifying a pain, you're talking about a solution that you can offer that will help offset that pain. Same principles, same discovery style, all of that stays the same, more on the back end of how many conversations you need to have, how involved they're going to be, pricing, negotiating, uh, security, all that kind of stuff. So it's just a little bit of a longer tail on those. Um, but I would say the basic skills are, are all the same. Totally agreed. I had a post where I said, like, that's the, the probably number one thing that drives people away or rather uh, companies look for when they shouldn't, which is like pre prior SaaS experience. I really don't get that part. If you have any sales experience, why would I turn you down? Like, I want to see if you have the grit, the ter determination, if you like know how to talk to people, if you can uh, relay a message, if you can ask the right questions, but like, yeah. does it have to be? specifically inside like i think that's just a stupid thing that kind of became popular and then just people kind of keep repeating it without really understanding why it's important or not um so it's a kind of a trigger point for me honestly i agree it, it comes back to a lot of things where i think i think part of it comes from that initial aspect of oh SaaS sales is amazing you want to be in SaaS sales so there's uh an inundation of applicants for all of these positions and they go well how do i how do I limit this? That's where you see, well, you have to have SaaS experience or, you know, the, this has been a common topic I've seen out there recently is you have to have a degree. It's not because you actually need a degree. It's because they're looking for easy ways to limit the candidate pool, in, mm. my, in my opinion, at least, because I think to your point, you know, I would be more curious to ask more questions about what type of sales the individual has done in the past. If you're selling enterprise and having past enterprise experience is important, I think. If you're selling widgets, moving to enterprise, that's going to be more complicated. Um, so right. there are absolutely some nuances around sales. Not every sales role should be good for every other sales role. But I think to your point, um, the industry or specifics around what you're selling are a little bit less important. Um, assuming during the interview process, you're able to get in there and evaluate their sales skills and what they're able to do. Hey everyone, I started at SDR Hire in the first place to help as many of you as I can to land your next job, become better at sales, and just help you propel your career. So if you're finding value in this content and you know somebody who will benefit from it, please share it with them. Tag them in a post, send them via text, share it wherever you share stuff with your community. And as always, all of this is completely free and is here to help everyone succeed. So your recommendation goes a long way. I appreciate you and let's get back to the show. Exactly. Okay, okay. So I think we're completely aligned there. And by the way, it is a, a video format as well. So th this goes live on YouTube. Perfect. Um, <laughs> so I can wave my hands more. Excellent. I exactly. love it. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Um, there was one more thing I think that I wanted to ask you, but I, oh yeah. So I think what, what is probably a differentiator when it comes to choosing a career in SaaS versus some other uh, sales path, let's call it like that, is perhaps the expectation of financial benefit and so what what i'm curious and i just don't know i know the salaries in the 
uh, SDR slash PDR space, which is, for example, for the US, it's, let's say, uh, a span of 40 to 60 base or 70, perhaps, um, and then an additional like 15 to 20, uh, you know, permission and sort of a total OT or like first plus the second. Um, is it similar for a BDR in the, for example, staffing industry? So I find a BDR in the staffing industry is a bit different because it'll depend on the organization and how they're set up. Sometimes the BDR will in reality be more of a recruiter style of role where they're actually recruiting candidates and then using leads that they generate from those candidates to go and book meetings. So you've got a bit of a dual role there. I would say from my experience, it is fairly similar, but a lot of times you'll have an uncapped commission. So you will be getting a base probably similar to what you were talking about, you know, that 50, 60, 70 range. I mean, I've been out of it for a couple of years, but from my experience, probably 50 to 60, let's say. Um, and then you're getting paid on the placements that you're making. And again, depends if you are in a contractual or uh, contingent staffing where let's say we hire Stefan for a six month contract, you're getting paid as long as that individual is working. So it's very easy to continue to grow your book of business. Um, so there's an aspect there for sure that allows you to, to generate more. I would say some of the best recruiters were easily breaking into six figures, um, you know, probably doubling their base, um, yeah. if not more. So I, I think it's a very lucrative industry, um, uh, for folks who enjoy that. And it's very much a, a people person type of thing. You're just talking to folks all day long and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of sales skills to learn on, on both the recruiting side, as well as the more traditional sales side of the the staffing world. Nice, nice. I love it. Um, okay, okay. Let's get back a bit on the on the main part of the conversation, which sure. is, I'm I'm curious, what does your current BDR team look like right now? So the sides and maybe a bit some some of the targets that you're kind of trying to achieve. Like, what are you doing currently with the team? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I came on board, it was a team of seven uh, seven BDRs. Um, they had headcount, I believe it was for nine at the time. So we uh, were looking to fill those roles. We also had some conversations around trying to accelerate our pipeline growth a little bit. Uh, so we ended up opening some additional headcounts. We actually grew the team to 12 BDRs, um, which uh, is a handful for one person to lead. So we actually um, opened up as well two BDR lead roles. Uh, they're, they're currently on the Vizier website. If you're interested, feel free to apply. Um, so they um, So we could have a little bit more structure to that. Um, we have recently kind of moved back to more of a, a hybrid role where, um, individuals are based principally in Vancouver. Um, other folks are based in Toronto. So we are a Canadian based company. So we have kind of both coasts to be able to support, um, you know, businesses across North America. So the team I lead focuses specifically on North America. Um, they're assigned to between one to two account executives and then what we look at is uh, basically number of meetings that they book and number of stage zero opportunities, which are kind of a precursor to hitting the sales accepted opportunity, which is their goal. Um, varies a little bit. I would say on average, they're probably looking at generating about nine sales accepted opportunities per quarter. Um, these are enterprise size deals as well. So we're looking at you know companies with employee counts of about 5,000 plus um, employees. So... Um, they look, they're, they're sizable deals, not always easy to get meetings in that space, especially when you're trying to figure out who the decision makers are and that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough work, but I think the solution is really, really great. So that absolutely helps. 
Um, and you're you're talking to folks who once they see it, they really believe in it. So it's uh, it creates a really nice buzz once you can get, you know, um, into some organizations, start having some conversations. Very cool. OK, you mentioned sales accepted leads. Um, every organization has its own, let's say, uh, qualification structure of those like uh, book meeting, then a qualified meeting, then a book, like whatever. It, it differs by the company, but like um, what, what do you guys define as a sales accept? So a qualified opportunity. Like, yeah. Can you share a bit of a few like KPIs or, or whatever, like qualification metrics that, that you look yeah. at? So this is an interesting one because I think from a theoretical perspective, I want, and I say theoretical, but this is something it's important to me. I want to shrink down, like you were saying that whole, like have a conversation, book a meeting, have another meeting, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I am so right now um, focused on trying to improve the prospects journey because next thing you know, I'm cold calling a prospect. I'm booking a meeting. I'm having a conversation. I think it's qualified. I send them to the AE. They have discovery. They send them to the solution consultant. They do more discovery. Then they do a demo and it's been six weeks, 14 conversations and the prospect's already like, I'm, I want to buy the other thing because I'm already bored. Um, so we're shortening that up and trying to create a better experience right now. The goal would be on that initial conversation. And I've been pushing the BDRs to try and do it more like just, if you've got them on the phone, just try and ask them two, three additional questions, you know, Hey, there's some interest here. You have a challenge that Vizier can probably solve. Let's just get you in front of an account executive and continue the conversation right away. Um, otherwise the BDRs are probably trying to get in front of them for like 15, 20 minutes, just to ask them some general stuff, you know? We're living in a world where HR doesn't always have budget. This, um, you know, a, a people analytics solution isn't always a project that is top of mind. So we're sometimes working a little bit backwards around, hey, how do you measure certain things? How do you go about making certain decisions? Is it data driven? Is it not? If it's not, can we start to get into that type of approach? So um, that's why we don't follow a super traditional like BANT methodology or anything like that. We're trying to touch on those points, but more so conversationally, as opposed to, um, you know, just asking the question and getting the answer. Um, and then once we get them in front of uh, the account executive, normally that's where they'll start to dive in a little bit more to understand use case. So if they can identify there's really a use case there, there's a problem we can solve. They have access to some sort of funding they can go and request. Um, you know, project wise, Hey, this is an initiative at least for the organization, if not a project. So just starting to get a little bit deeper down around what's important to the organization right now. And I think the key point there is how do we go about getting in front of the right people to make those decisions? Because sure, it might be an HR led solution, but the CFO is going to be the one writing the check and they want to know that there's a benefit to them as well. So if you can start tying pieces together and understand, all right, you don't have budget, but you have to do this and this to get the budget. Can we get those people involved? And can we start to talk to them about potential business outcomes they can get um, through that? So um, I'll, I'll, it's a little bit more of a complex sale just based on the type of solution it is. We're moving more to a must have, but we're still living in that space of it's a really, really nice to have. Yeah, I got you. I think that's a common um I don't want to call it problem a challenge where you actually have to include 
bit more stakeholders in comparison yeah. to mid-market sales or SMB sales where you basically like close something in a few weeks and you have one or maybe two people who you need to get on board. So um, good thing to, to know and share with the audience. Okay, so uh, this is very, very cool so far. Um, I'm curious, like, uh, what do you value the most in your BDRs, like some qualities or traits? Yeah, so when I interview folks, I usually bring up two specific things that um, I, I think they need to have. And that is that they need to be genuinely curious um, because I think that if you are fake about that, people will um, absolutely call you out on it during any type of discovery or anything like that. But if you're genuinely curious and can ask good questions because you want to know the answers, not because you're supposed to ask the questions, makes a big difference. Um, and the second thing is you actually have to give a shit. You have to believe that what you are doing is going to help the prospect. If you do not believe that, then you will not be comfortable bothering them, picking up the phone, cold calling, all that good stuff. So I think that it's really important to have those two pieces and feel like, hey, what I'm doing is helping and that uh, I'm going to I'm gonna ask a bunch of questions so I can understand how we can help. Those are the two biggest pieces. From there, you can add a whole lot of other fun little nuances to it. I think folks that are really creative are good. Uh, I hired one individual because he sent me uh, a LinkedIn message with a video in it. And the video was titled your next BDR and, and kind of sold himself on it. And I was like, yeah, nice. if you can apply that creativity to every day, like go for it. Um, and the second is just somebody who's very, um, you know, gung ho and ready to just do whatever it takes. I, I hired another BDR who was a little bit, maybe less comfortable with video. Uh, we started chatting about some best practices and uses for it. And she just jumped on board and said, Hey, if this is going to help me, I'm going to do it. Um, so like just having that, that energy to want to go and execute and do and try and fail and come back and do it again. Like that's, that's another critical one for me. Um, just having the will to do that. Which leads me to, to the next part of the question, which is, um, you know, what can your reps expect from you in case they are underperforming? Hey there. I wanted to let you in on a couple of additional resources available other than the podcast and the social media content. So I recently started a newsletter where I break down the best pieces of advice from the podcast about getting hired, how to be a top performing sales rep into actionable nuggets that you can apply literally as soon as you read them. And in addition, if you're currently looking for an SDR role, you can fill out a form to let me know and I'll do my best to help put you in front of tech companies hiring for SDRs. All right, back to the show. Um, I'm very much, I, I feel like I am and you know, we can pull them after, but um, I feel like I'm pretty straightforward when it comes to just how things are going. I don't believe in beating around the bush or trying to paint a pretty picture around, oh, don't worry, this isn't as bad as it looks. You know, I, I, I love my team. I mean, I hired at this point, just about all of them um, have been hired since my tenure at Vizier. And I, I really want to see them succeed. Mm -hmm. And if they're not, I'm going to tell them because I don't want to baby them or coddle them and say, don't worry, it'll be fine if it's not. You know, I, I love my team, but at the end of the day, numbers do matter. So, you know, working backwards from there to understand where, um, where you can get to is, is really critical. So, yeah, I, I try and focus on, I, I try not to focus. I know I'm, I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here, but I'm trying not to focus too much on numbers in the way of output output, because I find that the input is the important part. You can control 
prospecting, reaching out to folks, emails, all that stuff. You can't necessarily control if somebody's going to pick up the phone per se. So it's finding that balance between, hey, let's get a good habit and a good system in place. Let's repeat that and scale that as opposed to nitpicking. Well, you need more meetings. Go get more meetings. Yeah, great. How? That doesn't help me. But let's talk about that process to get there. Nice. Nice. Very good. And that kind of answers one of the questions that I had. But let me ask you this. So what would you consider specifically a red flag? in an FTR, in let's say an interview process? So um, my big motto I discovered throughout my career was um, skill versus will. Those are the two pieces that I typically evaluate people on and put them in different buckets. Learned it from a mentor when I was uh, going through the beginnings of my leadership career because I... Um, and I find this happens to a lot of leaders. They end up with this kind of Superman complex of, I can save everybody. I can make everybody who's not a good performer be the best performer there is. Um, and that's just not necessarily the case. So he bucketed them into skill versus will. And I hire folks for the will. That's what I was talking about before. That energy, that drive, that desire to do well, all that stuff. The skill I can teach, I'm pretty confident over my 10 plus years of selling and, and leading, I can I can probably teach that part. But when you don't have that will, I can't, I can't make you pick up the phone. I can't make you send that email. I can't make you want to do the job. But if you were doing it and doing it poorly, I can help coach that. So for me, a lot of the time, what I look for in an interview and the questions I ask, I want to hear stories about how somebody tried something. I don't even care about the outcome. I care that you tried, you put the effort in. Hopefully you had somebody close to you to help coach you and continue to go forward. But for me, it's all about people who um, you know, just try different things and are willing to give it a go. Very nice. And this keeps repeating itself. And it seems like those are, uh, well, like somebody calls it will, grit, determination. It basically comes down to the same thing. And a lot of people, I know from, from, from myself, from my perspective, that's what I'm looking at uh, in SDRs. And I've seen people do the same thing, which is like, okay, you've got the skills. Amazing. Awesome. Like it, it is a good thing to have, but not a determining factor. If you don't have the will, grit, uh, determination, whatever, then that's a problem. And that's something, again, you can work on, but it's gonna be like the breaking point. Like, is, are you gonna proceed or not? Awesome. Um, and also is something that gets you promoted quicker. And that's also something that I wanted to ask you. Um, like what, what's the strategy in the company for getting promoted to AEs? Like, do you promote internally or, or look for outside uh, hires? Uh, and also, in your mind, what is the best strategy to get getting promoted to account executive? Yeah, so um, at Vizier, it's something we're working on. So um, this was part of my mandate coming on board is that, you know, it's a big enterprise sell. We have very junior BDRs coming in. How do we bridge that gap? And we're kind mm. of looking at creating some sort of stepping stone in between to get there, but we don't have that right now. It was part of the reason why it was important for me to create that BDR lead role so we could also give folks options because I also believe that, hey, there's a career path for leadership. There's a career path for uh, enterprise sales. Those are not necessarily the same thing. So we don't have that right now. We are working towards it. I think a lot of what you talked about before when you were saying, you know, there's multiple stakeholders and things like that. I think if you are a BDR looking to get promoted and I preach this to my team, try and stay involved in those sales cycles just a little bit longer. We encourage our BDRs to stay involved as much as they have time for. It shouldn't be affecting your current role, but if you can stick around for a demo, just the product knowledge you learn of watching the solution consultant walk through your solution is huge. 
if you can offer then help, hey, multiple stakeholders, we're only talking to one or two, Mr. Or Mrs. Account Executive, if I get you a couple extra meetings at this organization, is that a benefit to you? So trying to just give them that next step to help them continue to stay involved in the deal, it's actually something I'm hoping to change even from a compensation model. Something I've seen in the past with other organizations is they'll build out, you know, uh, BDR will get compensated if an opportunity they create moves from stage one to stage two, something like that. So I'm trying to find ways to get them involved more, but also um, give them, you know, some financial compensation. So they are, they want to be more involved in that as well. So it's finding that balance. But I think for me, that's the best way to do it. Try and stay involved and keep asking questions. Ask why, ask how you can help. What more can you do? Sitting and shadowing, sure, that'll help you. But being actively involved, maybe you can start a conversation. Maybe you can ask a few questions. Maybe you can do some research, whatever it is. Um, just the more you can do, the, the better off you're going to be from a knowledge perspective and also showing that you can handle those types of conversations um, because then you get the AEs involved, you get some of the other sales leadership involved and they can kind of see the skills you have. That's right. So true. This reminded me of uh, an, of an example, Kevin Hollingsworth. I don't know if you're familiar. He was on on the show as well. And one example he gave of an SD, he, when he was an SDR, he was uh, shadowing his AE. They were going to the, to the meetings together or reviewing the calls together or something like that, where they realized there was a pattern emerging from these uh, calls, which he then used. Like there was a specific use case with a specific type of uh, buyer, where which then he used to book a shit ton of meetings in the following weeks, and like and that is how you get, you know, in front, and that's how you, well, like become the AE you want to be, or a better seller, or just you know uh, gather attention to yourself. So, um, and I was gonna yeah. say I think that that reminds me a lot of when I was at Aerotech because what we would do for the recruiters is, look, you're speaking to folks who have let's say. I'm speaking to you. You've worked at company X. That's one of my big targets. Okay, great. Well, let me take some time to ask you some questions about that company. You know, do they currently use a staffing service? What types of skill sets are they hiring? All that kind of stuff because, well, wait a second. I can go to my account executive now and say, hey, Chris, I learned X, Y, Z about this company. When we call them here, maybe we can use some messaging, stuff like that. Maybe I can book a meeting with them myself, things of that nature. So it's taking advantage of the scenarios you're in to just try and maximize what, what you can get out of those conversations and not just thinking, all right, I'm a BDR. I have five questions I need to ask. Check, 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 check. Great. I'm done. Mr. Account Executive, please move this forward, right? It's having a natural conversation. I think that makes you better at your job and makes you more promotable as well. I love it. That, that's so true. Okay. For folks that are kind of looking towards a career like you have, so basically a leadership uh, type of career, yeah. um, you know, what has been the factor for your success in your mind so far? Um, I will take it back to actually giving a shit. Um, and that applies to my prospects and my clients when I was selling. And that applies to the people on my team as well. Um, one of the most impactful books I have read in my career is Simon Sinek, Start With Why. Because especially, and this goes back to what we were talking about before, SaaS sales, all the money, all the dollars, this is why you want to be in SaaS. That's cool and all, but for the most part, people don't want 
it's, it's not about the money. It's what the money allows them to do. It's what the money um, allows them to, you know, do in the way of lifestyle or owning a home or buying a car or whatever. Um, so I think for me, it was just always really important to peel the onion back and better understand kind of why, why, do, why do you get up in the morning and get shut down on cold call after cold call? That's not normal. Like, why do you do it? Right. Um, so I, I think that allows you to, to just build a better relationship with your people and help them achieve whatever it is they want. You know, one of the, uh, one of the salespeople I was leading at Aerotech actually about six months ago, sent me a picture from her, um, nice downtown condo she had just bought in Montreal and sent me this beautiful view. And she's like, Hey, this is what I ended up doing. Um, you know, part of this was because of you and, and, you know, your, your mentorship and all that stuff. I'm like, that's what means a lot to me. So getting to see people who have told me I've been able to, yeah, buy a home, start a family, uh, pay off my student debt, whatever it is. Um, you know, it's for me, that was the, the, the special sauce is just getting to know people and getting to understand why they do what they do, because like work is work and yeah. you usually do it so you can live. So what are you trying to do in your life that allows that to tie back to what you're trying to accomplish? That's so powerful. Um, I think that there's just people who are naturally more prone to leadership and those that are not. It, it's not a good or a bad thing. It's different, right? Um, but and I, I feel, at least for myself, that I'm more of a leadership type of person than than a you know salesperson, uh, so to speak. Um, and I can I can really relate to what you said because. There, I, I haven't found a more, more beautiful feeling than when people go, come back to me and tell me I've helped them do whatever. Um, so that, that's really resonated, which is actually why I'm doing this as well, which is just trying to share. And uh, I think you have this on your LinkedIn, uh, giving back one one good deed at a, Pay at it a day or something. Exactly. Pay Paying it forward. forward one day at a time. Same value, right? Yeah. And that's, again, that comes back to, I, I look at it back when I was um, at Aerotech where somebody took a chance on me. I had no real sales experience. They took the time, they mentored me, they taught me, they coached me, they helped me build the career I've built today, which going back to what I was talking about has allowed me to, you know, buy a house and get the car I wanted and go on vacation and then be able to pay that back to whoever is next. So I, I think that's so important because somebody took a chance on me and I want to be able to do that to folks. It's why I love posting on LinkedIn. That's why I love doing stuff like this, talking to you, Stefan, because again, if I can help one person, if this 30 minute, whatever conversation podcast can help one person, I'm a happy camper. I think that is time well spent. Um, so yeah, there, there are folks who, like you said, lean more towards leadership. Other folks go more the sales route. And I, one is not better than the other. They're just both different. And if you are not enjoying what you're doing, then why do it at all? Hey there, hope you're enjoying these episodes as much as I do making them. If you prefer consuming a shorter format content, I post the best snippets from the podcast on TikTok, YouTube Shorts, Instagram Reels. So feel free to choose your favorite platform and I'll see you there. On the other hand, if you just love binging longer formats, the podcast is available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and I also often post interesting sales and hiring stuff on LinkedIn. All right, back to the show. I love that. Awesome. What what is the next phase of your career? So you've had a pretty, I, I would say, a pretty pretty decent career so far, very successful. Like, where do you see yourself going in the next few years? Yeah, you know, I I get asked that question a lot, and I think that it's not always um, it's not always a clear and cut answer for me. And I know that this is 
if you're if you're uh, an up and coming BDR SDR, don't this is not good advice. Don't do this because I'm not very good at planning out my career. Like I said, I was at Aerotech, seeing success, just kind of hit a rut where I wasn't sure what to do next. Got a call from somebody, so I kind of lucked out. Obviously, relationships I had built and all that's not entirely luck, but like perfect timing there. Visitor came knocking, seemed like a great step. So I'm I'm not good at planning my career. You should be like put some goals up there, work towards them. I think that's important. Um, I, I think for me, kind of what I would love to do next is kind of get back into the full sales cycle again. Um, so, you know, I look at what our enterprise team does at Vizier and I was like, yeah, that's that's not something I can I could do ever. Um, maybe I can, but, you know, I, it's not something that's drawing me. But I think getting back to like the SMB space and leading a sales team that does kind of full cycle sales, I would like to get back into that. I think I've learned a lot from leading a, a BDR team. I think there's a lot of skills there, like I mentioned, that I maybe didn't quite have, especially in the SaaS world. Um, so I'd like to get back around that that full cycle selling because it's something I've done pretty much my whole career. So for me, that's, I think, my next step. But hey, who knows? Who knows what may come knocking next? So I don't like closing myself off to opportunities. I like, you know, just seeing what's out there, what's available and what, you know, is uh, strikes me and is interesting to me. I love it. So uh, we're kind of uh, going towards the end of this. And uh, if you saw, there's uh, there's a few rapid fire questions that uh, we can go through and then we can kind of uh, wind it down. Cool. Sounds like a plan. I did see there were rapid fire questions. I felt like they would be more natural if I didn't overthink the answers. So I kind of breezed through them quickly, um, but I'm, right. I'm, I, I, I don't know how this is going to go. So hit me. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So best SDR learning resource. Start with LinkedIn. I see learning as a funnel. Um, start with LinkedIn. It's got a wide variety of things and then figure out where that gap is and kind of hone down in and that'll lead you to videos, books, courses, and all that good stuff. Nice. What is the best SDR skill? Uh, just being like gung-ho and excited to, to do things. Go, do, try, fail, start over. Nice, nice, awesome. So what is the best you know, SDR, BDR creator to follow? Outside of yourself, obviously. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm 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 the best in that specific space. I like to be. I just like posting what I want to post. Um, I think for me, one that I really like is Anthony Natoli. He's uh, moved on to an AE role. Still talks a lot about prospecting. He's a really really good one um, to follow. Christian Krauss is really good. Patrick Siebert's really good too. Uh, a few solid ones out there. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. Um, what is your go-to BDR channel? Like in the way of outreach channel? Mm -hmm. Ooh, um, I mean, I'm going to preach a video all day long right now. I think it's still a differentiator. I don't know that it will be forever, but take advantage while it still is. Nice. Um, when it comes to either email email or cold call, what is your go-to opener? Ooh, um, I'm, I'm all about cold calling. I just, I was raised that way through the sales process. So I just think a nice permission-based opener is great. Like, hey, it's Chris Collin from... Uh, Vizier, I know this is a cold call. You have 30 seconds, so I can tell you why I'm calling. Very nice. Smooth and easy. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Uh, what is, in that case, what is your go-to call to action? So it's interesting because um, I said I was brought up on cold calls and I was yeah. uh, very much taught like volume and be very direct. And I think my style has changed a lot to be a lot looser and more comfortable. Um, but just, I like asking, you know, is it, is it worth a chat? Is it worth continuing the conversation? Something of that nature, very loose, just 
I think this is worth continuing the conversation and seeing what's what's next. I think folks are so tired of hearing, let's book a meeting. Are you available at 3 p.m. tomorrow afternoon? Um, just put it out there and see what they say. I love it. First time I came across that interest-based um, vocal actions, I was like, hey, like it makes more sense. Like if they want, like for example, whenever, so, so I saw no relation between my call to actions and people booking meetings. Like if they are interested, they're going to say, hey, let's find some time on a calendar. It doesn't really. So why wouldn't I try to add value with the question rather than just pushing them on a meeting? So okay, I love that. Um, and finally, what is your favorite tech sales acronym? Ooh, favorite tech sales acronym. I should have thought this one through. Okay, I'm <laughs> I'm gonna go slightly sideways on this one. Um, corporate bro, my favorite sales acronym or SaaS sales acronym is sadness. Sales <laughs> are dope, never ever stop selling. I think it is just, he does such a nice job of like poking fun and satirizing what sales is every day. And it's just so realistic that I think if you can't laugh at yourself a little bit while you live through sales, um, you're probably doing it wrong. So if anybody hasn't checked out Corporate Bro, you absolutely should just because it gives you uh, just a, oh, yeah. a fun perspective on the silliness that occurs and it makes you feel like you're not alone. You live through something and you're sitting there, you get to the end of an internal meeting, you're like, this is dumb. And you watch a video and you're like, okay, it's not just me. Other companies do this too. I'm not crazy. It's normal. Um, so I, I think he's added a lot of uh, of of just fun to that space. Awesome. Awesome. I love this. Um, definitely everybody check, check corporate bro. He's on everything like LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram. Everybody. All right. Awesome. Uh, Chris, I loved our conversation. I could probably keep asking you questions and talking about stuff, um, uh, for the next three hours, but, uh, we're limited. So, um, that's it at least for, for this, for this episode. Um, I really appreciate your time and your effort in uh, sharing the knowledge that you've gathered over the years and your perspective on how to build great sales teams. So uh, this was awesome. Yeah, and I, I appreciate so much you having me on here. I love talking about this stuff. If you ever want to do a part two, just let me know. And if there's anybody out there who is you know looking to get into the SaaS space or the BDR, SDR role, anything like that, hit me up. You can find me on, on LinkedIn and I'm always happy to try and pay it forward and help however I can. So uh, feel free to, to reach out and send me a note. I love it. Alrighty. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the SDR Hire podcast, the only podcast exclusively focused on SDRs where successful salespeople share about their hiring stories and sales adventures straight from the trenches. If you found this useful, go ahead and share it with someone else you know is trying to break into tech or land their next SDR gig. You can find SDR Hire on all major podcast platforms as well as YouTube. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and catch you in the next episode.